Hi, everybody, and welcome to Ammonite Movie Night, The Brooklyn Sessions. These three episodes, uh, I'm pretty sure they're all going to drop at once. They were recorded at my old apartment, the former Ammonite Inc. Studios in Brooklyn, New York. These are Jared and I's first ever podcasts, and so as a result, we had some audio quality issues. Um, we were kind of using the wrong mics for what we were doing here. All of that, I hope by the time you've heard this, has been corrected, and starting next Wednesday, we should be on the right track. But in the meantime, on this episode of Ammonite Movie Night, we talk about J.J. Abrams' Super 8 celebrating its 10th anniversary this past summer, and our first attempt to cover Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, although as you can see from the episode, we didn't quite get it all, which sparked our Spider-Man commentary series that's coming in about uh, a month from when you hear this. Anyway, that's the show. If you have any questions, comments, and concerns, you can send your emails, voicemails, what have you, to amntpod at gmail.com. And uh, for these Brooklyn Session episodes, we will address them in a manner to be announced. Thank you very much, and enjoy our first ever podcast, Spider-Man and Super 8, on the Ammonite Movie Night. Thanks. me kev and i'm here with jared howdy we are ammonite inc of course and uh every week we're gonna be each picking a movie and we're gonna talk about those movies and you're i mean you're already here you're coming along for the ride whether you like it or not yeah you can't you know Uh, why don't you take the daily out of your play queue you're not gonna need it um i picked our first feature which is jeffrey jacob abrams super eight I'm going to be calling it Sense8 for the remainder of this pod because I am so sorry. It's true. It's true. Is it Jeffrey Jacob? It is Jeffrey Jacob. Thank God. The writer of Marvel's Spider-Man, the most distinct miniseries ever written. Everyone give a round of applause. Everyone give a round of applause. Please clap. Speaking of Spider-Man, our next movie we're going to be talking about is Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1. Oh, yeah. There is a connection there. Spider-Man. Right. (laughs) Do you want to get right into it, Jared? Let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. With Super 8, um, I'd heard a lot about it. I've known about our young friend Jeff Jake, or Jake Jeff, whichever order he's in today. I've known about him. I mean, I've seen Star Trek. I've seen Cloverfield. Um, but this one has eluded me. All I've known about it is that it's, you know, Spielbergy. I feel like it eluded everybody because they wrote it off right away when the mystery... Like, I feel like... So I had the inverse, where I was working at a movie theater when it came out. And I saw it three times. And I saw it a lot on breaks. I love this. Spoilers. I love this movie. Um, and uh, I think it's really... Even though like now I'm catching a lot more stuff that I think... Because I watched Jaws last week because of 4th of July. So I'm catching all this shit that's like... Oh, maybe that's... You know... You're seeing the seams. Yeah. I, I guess so. But... Uh, yeah. To your point. They did this viral... Like, I missed out on the, this viral, viral marketing campaign completely. I think people for got reference. confused, too, because I thought it was Cloverfield-related. Mm. Not going to lie, I had a little running thing with myself. Like, all right, how closely is this thing going to resemble the Cloverfield monster? Answer, not at all, but... Yeah, I know. 
I mean, I actually kind of like the design, the, the weird nostrils going on, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting ahead of ourselves, folks. Super 8 is the story of young Joe Lamb, who has lost his mother in a nondescript factory accident. Yeah. It's like an ironworks factory, right? Something like that, yeah. And so they're in a position, he makes movies with his friends. Yeah. You know, the Goonies. Yeah. And uh, they're... They're filming at midnight, and there's a train crash, and something gets out of the train. Mm-hmm. And the adventure goes from there. The adventure goes from there. You know, you have Kyle Chandler as the screaming dad, which has been his Hollywood role for a while. The brilliant Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, just wondering where everyone is and what is going on at all times. I really liked the opening to this movie, like, a lot. I think everything up through, up until the middle point, everything felt very concrete, like it was going somewhere. You can see the clear character relations where honestly, where it goes off the rails and it just becomes, I don't know what they were aiming for. It's when uh, the girl, I, her Alice, I think her name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she gets kidnapped, that's where the movie kind of lost me a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean... It was focusing on the relationship between Joe and Alice. And I thought that was done very well. That was, I thought that the moment where... Um, they're watching Joe's mother into like with baby Joe on the video was touching to watch it with someone you're following for. It's very like, it pulls those certain strings. Like I imagine someone who's 13, 14 watched that scene. They're probably, that's probably going to stick with them in the way that a show only a show or movie only does when you're 13, 14. But after that, it was like, it tried to say like, Oh yeah, he's having conflicts with his best friend. And it's like, they never really had any camaraderie. It was always that like head buddy stuff that you see between friends who've known each other for a while. But right. it was never that reassurance. Excuse me, reassurance that they know each other. I agree. You never get that sense that they like each other. So I feel like that issue is all over this movie. So. Is that there is a chemical? There's something missing in the chemistry of the film. I love this movie a lot, um, but the chemistry is weird between everybody. Because I feel like there's there's missing elements all over the place. It's like he took a bunch of Spielberg stuff and put it in a blender. But then, like, generally there's a third act pivot or something else going on. Or there's, there's something here that's missing. The Kyle Chandler stuff never quite goes where you want it to go because he has to get wrapped up in the army stuff in the third act and, and take a disguise and do all this stuff. The alien stuff never quite gets... Never really quite get, like... The only thing that's satisfying is at the very end when the kids' movie, you see the movie. Mm-hmm. That was really endearing. Like, that was, wasn't my favorite part, but it was a very nice surprise at the end to see, oh, they actually hung out and did this. Right. And you can see their camaraderie there. They're having a lot of fun. Like, the actors themselves right. are goofing around and enjoying themselves, and it's like, I wish it reflected... They gave that more time in the rest of the film. I agree. They got wrapped up in all the army stuff, the... The aliens, they, they tried to rationalize stuff that you really don't need to rationalize. There's a lot of, like, like I'm imagining Steve on a similar set in 1979 saying, mm-hmm. fuck this page. Yeah. Like, fuck this page. We don't need this page. We need more Kyle Chandler. Mm-hmm. And he's watching the kid eat macaroni and cheese or something at the table. Mm-hmm. There's a human element here that that is approached. And I think what's it, there is great. but But, like, that missing... Like they that. brush against each other so briefly. It's they, just a bummer. They did Steve, that. Steve had that, and that's the element that's missing. The, uh, one thing I really liked that I caught was um, they, they're at the best friend's um, for house for dinner, 
there's a little bit I liked where um, the, the mother comes over and takes a bat out of the little kid's hand and the kid's whacking away at his little table with his bat, takes the bat away, walks off, and you see right before the camera moves to the side, the kid reaches under, pulls out another bat, and starts hitting the table. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that yeah. is very like, oh, that's what I wanted from this movie. That's, I like that. I also wanted more of like the two dads like not even reconciling like um, Alice's father and uh, Joe's father. The yeah, two. yeah. Not them reconciling, but I want them to interact more. Like, I liked whoever played her dad. He was very... You expected him to be very angry and violent, but he, everything about him was just sad. Ron El- Eldard is that actor's name? I hope I'm getting that right. Um, do you... He's do you, from Long Island. He went to SUNY Purchase. No kidding. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> he um, does very well. I thought, I thought early in the film, I thought it was going to be some cartoony role. Yeah. And, and, and the script doesn't... Again, a lot of that, a lot of this third act left a lot to be desired there. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Is that like you kind of saw it, but you wanted to see? Yeah. I wanted to get more of that. Either make it about the dad or include that. On this this beat where the mother died in a factory accident that her father caused, mm-hmm. I thought that was very confusing. It was. It's really interesting. That's the one thing. I, that was the thing I wanted them to okay. expand on more, and for them to cut down on like the military stuff. Like. I agree. I think that that stuff is like. This this JJ so I, I came into this with a theory about JJ about Jeffrey Jacob Abrams our pal. He was um, too. that like his stuff is very strong on the pitch and the trailer mm-hmm. and you know you, you see it before the first Transformers movie and you're like wow what the fuck was that right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the third because because it's all about you know you never really remember the very end of a magic trick you know so that's the problem mm-hmm. also it's like like do I want to see this magic trick again A which usually it's like do you and B it's like yeah but what about the rest magic tricks are awesome I love magic yeah you know me I love magic there's nothing like a good there's nothing like a good surprise but uh I don't know I I wish there was more you never want to see, you never want to see the mag- magician put the bunny back in the bag and the hat goes into yeah um he was in uh, this guy who played the father he was uh he was the priest in Doubt on Broadway in 2006. Okay. So that's cool. Well, Good does for a lot him. of stage stuff. He, he, uh, he's an actor here in New York, so he was on an SVU in 2009. It's just so interesting. Like, this movie, this movie has a strong idea of what it wants to say, but it forgets to say some things. It's, yeah, I agree. Like, it's a Spielberg movie. Well, this is, that sounds mean. He's not, he's not making a Spielberg movie. He's taking those strong influences from those 80s, family movies that kind of broach the territory of being unfamily friendly but then he focuses on it reminds me of um they focused on that um, military general guy right like they have a lot of him shooting and doing nothing important (laughs) they do it reminded me of um I'll make this brief it reminds me of um, Man of Steel they have a general character who shows up and takes up a lot of screen time and then dies oh yeah that's right and we're not talking about that movie, but just the idea of, wait, why no. are we focusing so much on the military here? We're definitely not talking about Man of Steel, are we? No, we're not. No, this is going in the show. We're not talking about Man of Steel. No, no, no. That's a good... I'm dropping. You're right, though. No, call now. Because they do spend a lot of time. It feels similarly like... Um, I had heard something about the movie, and while you were saying that, I had to confirm on Wikipedia. Sure. But it may explain our structural issues with the army stuff, mm. which is, I'm reading right here, 
Um, Super 8 was a combination of two ideas. One about kids making a movie in the 70s. Mm. The other, a more traditional alien invasion movie. So what I'm thinking is half a one and six, half a dozen of one and six of the other make this lopsided egg crate uh, mm. that is two half-baked great ideas from Jeff Jake. Because I think a Jeff Jake... <laughs> we're going to... This is going to stick now. Uh, I think a Jeff Jake kids movie... I think I think that all three versions of this could work. Mm-hmm. But the, the finessing... There just wasn't enough finessing, I think, in the script Honest. of it. And what's there is very good. Not to be Vin Diesel, but it needed family to actually meld the two together. I needed to see a bit... Yeah, I agree. I think instead this of... This isn't even a bit uh, this time. It Like, I... Like it really didn't need the family, right? It needed like the father. The father should have bonded. They should have had more scenes with their kids, outside of like you know the build up to getting to the end. Or like, or like, here's my setup. I'm a cartoon, and my cartoon is this. Like I'm drunk all the time. Yeah. Or I'm the poli- I'm the belabored police chief who, yeah. again, disguised him. I never understood that. That was the. Sh- it was. It was. They focused on that so much. I don't. I don't know about you, but. I don't care about the monster. I don't care about that. I want to see how the family and the people react. And then the then the I feel like if they had a stronger family setup with like the kids having their own found family, the actual relationships to parents, the whole twist that the alien is just a guy who's really pissed at that being tortured and hidden away for so many years, that would have struck home if like the kid was inviting this alien into his family. Not literal, you can do it subtly, but just the idea of of you see their strong family bonds and it's like, no, it's okay. You are... You can have a family too. Right. Go back to your family. A reassurance that, you know, those humans are evil, evil assholes, but we want you to be happy too. Sure. Something like that. You know what's funny about what you're saying, Jared, is you're describing the ending of the movie E.T. The Extraterrestrial by Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Right? Remember? Remember? I'll be very frank. I'll be right here. I've seen E.T. twice and both times I was in my single digits. So like... Oh man. I'm going going off the cuff. I'm going off the cuff here. But it's... But but what we're... It's it's funny because the thing is is that it is such a rehash right meanwhile what we're asking for is essentially a movie that begins like jaws and ends like et i think that's a great fucking movie that would have been very like i feel like that would have been simple but again i feel like this guy gets lost in the fog of his fucking mystery box and everything except for mission impossible 3 because tom's there to bully him uh has to be some kind of fucking mystery I don't understand it. This movie gets four stars from me, and I really love it. And we'll, we'll talk more about stuff. Um, but man, oh man alive, am I like... And, and and by the way, what's funny, this movie came out ten years and a month ago. Mm-hmm. And oh, I'm just as, And I'm just as actively tired of the mystery box as I was then, right? Even though everyone's still trying to use the mystery box on me. This motherfucker with this, you know, uh, uh, a, uh, Jeffrey Jacob disciple Damon Lindelof's uh, Watchmen shit last year. Two years ago. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, which is a really great show, but is, you know, you can ask me later about what I think of it in terms of a sequel to Watchmen. <laughs> um, that's another thing on the no-no list. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jared, uh, what, what other thoughts do you have, Jared? Let's go through them. I, I'm woefully 
under-informed when it comes to Spielberg films, which is a nice way of saying I seen his stuff a long time ago. But one thing that I always took away from even the stuff that he participated on is that um, the friend groups in all of these films, they have just enough definition that they feel like people, but they're just open enough that you can easily insert yourself, your friends into it. Sure. And I really liked that about Spielberg films. I like that they they did something like that in this one. Not to the same degree because for prior mentioned things, military stuff taking up time, the dad cosplaying as a member of the military. The mystery of it all. Oh, it's a mo- oh, oh, oh. oh, it's a monster. Um, a forgettable luncheon. <laughs> but with the main kids, at least, they should have gotten more developments. Like, you know, you have the main kid who's Actually, he's just a sweet kid who likes makeup and is a quiet, talented little guy. You have the director who's the annoying fat guy who's loud and annoying. And then you have the pyro who blows things up and that's his personality. And then the whiner who's like in the hat and he looks like... Oh, uh, yeah, the whiner. He looks like um, Harry from Mad Men, which is oh, yeah. when, he's in a, when he's being filmed. But I like, I like that the characters had something going where you can easily look at someone and say... That reminds me of my friend and immediately draws you closer to them. Or sure. They almost sometimes it almost feels not I don't even think it's subcon- I don't even think it's like consciously. But these sometimes they feel like they're designed so that kids will leave the theater and go, who's who in the group? I mean that kid is straight out of the Goonies, that director. Oh yeah. Oh right. Yeah. That's a that is a Goonies character. Like right? that's the kid, right? Yeah. It's Captain Ch- that's uh no, not Chunk. Chunk was the guy, right? Chunk no. was the grown man with the weird face? No, that no, Chunk was a truffle. Chunk Trump was the... Ch- I was correct. Captain Chunk. Yeah. But... Yeah, you know, Captain Chunk. But I, kinda, I, I, like, I like movies that give that enough space. And that was, like, a perfect choice. But because, you know, Spielberg did it first. Yeah, I, I, but I, I, I like that. It's, it's a movie... Nice. Uh, Super 8 is a movie... Do you have any other notes? I'm just... I'm just... Oh, there's one scene I really liked that I wanted to bring up. Sorry, this is very tan- this is all just tangent to tangent, just because reading off the it's, new- it's a new podcast, folks. We're talking notes. We're taking notes here. There's my excuse, damn it. We're taking um, notes here. One scene I really liked, uh when uh Joe did the makeup on Alice and she's and he's like, be a zombie, and he's just watching her like do be a zombie, and it was something very sweet about the way it was filmed. It very much feels you can easily you've been in that situation where your crush is looking right at you and she doesn't know or he doesn't know, or they don't know. And the way that was filmed was so sweet and subtle, and little nuances, it was like, just stuck around. It was, I'm gonna say this word a lot, it was nice. And you know what, that's perfect. There's a lot of little things in this movie that are, it's fresh, It's fr- quite frustrating uh, to be a fan of this movie, because it, for me, because it's perfect in, some, in a lot of spots. When the, um, Police dad, what's his name? Kyle, uh, no, what's the actual character? It's Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. When he and uh, Joe are arguing, yeah, it's you expect it to escalate for him to start screaming, but he stays this aggressive but firm way of speaking that like is upsetting, but it's uh, it's way more human than a goofy 80s dad who's, I'm an angry cop who's an alcoholic, I'm gonna smack ya. Right. And again, coming back to, um, but I was gonna say with Alice, with uh, Alice as well, that character, with her dad, like, yeah, you expect him to be. He every time you see him, he's surly, angry, probably drunk by the way his actors portray him. But any scene after that, like 
They get into Allison and his, her dad get into an argument. He yells at her, but it's this like defeatist yelling at his wife way. And then she just runs out, gets on her on her bike. He gets in his car and he's yelling after her, like in that please don't go way. It's not an I'm angry at you. It's right. I fucked up. Oh no, please don't go. Which says so much more about his character, their backstory. He gets into his car accident because he's trying to stop his kid from running away. Right. Which is like very good. Like it's probably been that kind of thing has been done before, probably for kids' movies. Not that this is a kids' movie, but you right, know what right. I mean. But it was just a nice subversion that you don't quite expect and feels perfectly natural. It was just pleasant. Again, that word, it was nice. And I liked it. It's a good movie. Anyway, um, if we're doing out of the five star rating, three and a half is the good side of average, three is the eh side of average. Three and a half, I want it to be a four so bad because there's so many scenes that are wonderful sure again it's, it's a four for me because um again the things that i like about this movie are are way better than the things i don't like about it and i'm a sucker for the fucking mystery box i love that shit so i'm totally down for it again i, I think that there's a lot missing i think that um these actors what's what's most frustrating about it and, and this is a four-star movie for me i really love it but like it's frustrating to see actors uh, of all ages, all age ranges in this film, who are absolutely here for it, and they're absolutely here to give their best performance. And then the material in the end, because they're so, we're so not to keep hammering on this, but because we're so preoccupied with the twist and the aliens and, and all this, um, and the military, uh, we lose the characters, um, which is a Stevie sin. Mm-hmm. He's um, wagging his finger at you, Jeff Jake. <laughs> watching you, Jeff Jake. Um, but no, so three and a half stars from Jared and four stars from me. Overall, I highly recommend Super 8. I think you should check it out. It's certainly one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years, literally. While I can still say that. Made um, in the last 10 years or were you watching last made 10 Made in years? the last 10 years. Not yet. Lawrence of Arabia is on the list of movies I've seen in the last 10 years, Jared. The Godfather <laughs> Part 2 is on that list. Peter Jackson's King Kong, The Rocketeer, <laughs> Koyana Scotsi, The Human Condition Part 1. No offense, Super 8, but... Southland Tales, Spider-Man 1. Stay tuned. We were, in our, we were in our 20s the last 10 years. We watched a lot of goddamn movies. No offense to you, Super 8. Let's see. What other movies do I like more than Super 8? Uh, uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Yeah, that's a damn good movie. Um, I've seen that in the last 10 years. Anyway, Jared, I think it's time for our second movie. All right. We are going to take a break, and we are going to come back. And when we come back from that break, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. All right, we're back. <laughs> Folks, um, I, Jared and I were uh, but 10 years old when Sam Raimi's Spider-Man came out, and it's one of our favorite movies. We were at the perfect age to watch Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Uh, as a result, we've been making jokes about it for... Uh, next year will be the 20th anniversary, by the way. I hate that sentence Isn't that so crazy? Much. We should, Oof. Mm, Oof. Stay, stay, stay tuned on that. If you're listening to this, and stay tuned in real life, uh, that's interesting. Anyway, <laughs> if you're Jared, stay tuned in real life. If you haven't seen Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, stop this recording immediately and go watch it, please. You should be. You should have caught at least half of it on cable by now. Like over it's, the years, it's not what you're. If you're th if you're thinking it's just some other superhero movie, it shares a lot of elements with movies you may not like. But it's so 
fucking good. Mm-hmm. Jared and I are just going to talk about the whole thing. We're going to talk about Spider-Man. We may talk about Spider-Man 2 elements. That'll come in. Um, but basically, go watch the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And so, now... Okay, so my opinion on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is what Superman did in the 70s and what Batman did in the 80s, Spider-Man did for the late 90s, 2000s. I it is It is the superhero movie of this time period. Superman, Superman told you a man could fly or made you believe a man could fly. That was the tagline. Spider-Man makes you believe that being a superhero probably sucked balls. It is one of the very, very few movies that is completely honest on what's it like to be a doofus in a costume. You're going to sacrifice, and you're going to sacrifice, and you're going to sacrifice till you have nothing left to give except your horrible pizza pies. And that's when Aunt May comes to on her hospital bed tell you how great you're doing or whatever. Or, if you're in Spider-Man 2, give you a very passive-aggressive pep talk in your garage. <laughs> she did! That was a very stern, on that, but, very uh, even... Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's uh, pretty much a perfect movie. It's rem- one of the things I find remarkable about it is how quick it is just to get to the damn point. It uses its voiceovers of completely efficiently. You get it, you get the point. Peter Parker is a dork loser that no one likes. Gets on the bus, no one likes him. Bit by a spider. Spider. Um. God, I didn't take counts. Like I didn't count the minutes, but it has to be like fifteen minutes in. He gets the bite, right? It can't be that long. It's very efficient for for what for what they're trying to adapt here, which is about about five really five issues of Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Stan Lee's dense prose and shit. Like what for what they're doing, what they did in two hours is very impressive mm-hmm. to introduce the world, Pete, Harry, Norman, Oscorp politics, the 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 gas, the the goblin, the glider. What they ask you to what they what they're asking you to accept in a very quick amount of time. Um, it really speaks to Raimi's mastery of like pace and storytelling that none of that stuff, none of it feels like too much. The only thing I would ever want to add, but I can't think of like an actual place to put it in just because of pacing issues and the way the movie opens, a little time with Peter and his um, adopted parents before he gets powers. That was the one thing that always struck me. Like, I wish I saw a little more of him interacting with his family before he became a weirdo, because um, Uncle Ben is Uncle Ben talks about, oh, he's, he's so distant from me, he's changing. And it's like, from what? What did he change from? I, I know. You know, Kevin. We've read these comics. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, by 2002, by cultural osmosis, we already know who these characters are. You don't need to... We know Peter Parker's a nerd. Aunt and uncle love him. He's a very smart kid. But I think it would have benefited just seeing more. I agree. I thought it was interesting uh, that the, the two other times uh, God has granted people the chance to tell the story of Spider-Man, they give Uncle Ben about the exact same. Well, actually, the Disney ones don't even mention him at all. They have uh, not. For the, I mean, they give him another impetus we can discuss on a future uh, thing. Ugh. But... Uh, yeah, I know. Jared Jared just said no kindly and politely off mic. Um, <laughs> we could talk about that another time. But uh, we don't really see Uncle Ben. And I've been trying to think of why that is. I mean, we, we see him enough. Michelangelo painting the ceiling. <gasps> I'm already on my ass. <laughs> I think... It's a charming performance, too. I don't have the actor's name in front of me. Hang on. I think, I think, I think... It makes sense... 
in the context of they want to make they really want uh, Peter to worship his uncle not worship but just like really look up to his uncle right and they and like mm, by not having too much interaction with him by n- killing the man off early you get the sense that Peter you get an added guilt of maybe Peter was taking advantage and oh, yeah. and taking taking for granted his normalcy that's actually maybe that's what he was That's really for. good. Yeah. You you like, just get enough time to introduce who he was before and then you get his life after and he took it all for granted. Now get, he has now his responsibilities. You get enough to miss Uncle Ben in this. There's a warmth and then he goes away and he always he is always going to exist in the bubble in the corner. Right? You will always have shots of that you will always have shots of uh, the Parker house and it's a little too it's a just enough for three people. But it's just Peter and May. Right. This isn't Uncle Owen. <laughs> right? Yes, Well, we, we don't miss Uncle. Uncle Owen never gave us no. advice that changed the landscape of pop culture for 30 years. No. Um, Uncle Owen just died. And we were kind of like... But Uncle Owen also was like the thing letting... Like keeping Luke... It's different. Yeah. Very different. But this ain't Uncle Owen. Yeah. Like, we, we love and miss Uncle Ben. But I agree that I, I, I would have liked some other comparison. Because mm-hmm. that is the one thing the movie doesn't do as well as Stan Lee did, uh, mm. which is to give Peter the 35-year-old man, Toby Maguire, or however old he, he looks very old. He looks, <laughs> they all look so old. <laughs> he, looks older, he looks older than we do, and we couldn't pass for high school. That's true. No, no. Um, Nothing against you, Toby. No, we love you, Toby. We, hey, talk about a list of... We're going to get to someone who's mm. near the top of that list later in this review of Spider-Man. But Tobey Maguire is definitely on the list of people we love. Oh, yeah. Um, Something else, that guy. Love you, Toby. But um, the arc of Toby... Uh, of Toby. To- well, yeah, the arc of Toby, right? Peter's arc is a little murky. Yeah. We don't really see a lot of... I mean, we see him get garbage flung at him. And, and Peter Parker's life in these films is generally not great. Yeah. But uh, Spider-Man is like a dick. Yeah. Peter is like a dick. He, he like... <laughs> What was oh man? What's up? What's that great line? I forgot the part where that was my problem or something like that. Where he says to the, oh the uh, trademark, yeah. he says it to the robber as he's about to go. The Joe Chill of this story, mm-hmm. who has never been named. Well, no, he fucking has a name in this, but I forget. It's like Gorb- Gorbinson or something. Yo, uh, big guy, big Dante. Um, I'm gonna look that up because it's gonna fucking kill me. Go ahead. <sighs> But the one guy we all really would love to talk about, Norman Defoe. I love Lord Norman Defoe. There, he's wonderful. Okay. One of the guys. Did you call him Norman Defoe because he is so good at his job that you thought his name was Norman? That was on purpose, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was, on, wait, was that on purpose? Yes. Oh, good, okay. That was a joke. Oh, fuck. I was like, I'm like, oh. <laughs> No, no, he's I'm just... sorry. He's just... No, Willem Dafoe was wonderful. Willem Dafoe is one of the great actors who's ever lived. He is, he is. If he shows tied up in a movie, first. if he shows up in a movie, you're gonna have a great time. Even no even what. if the movie is horrible. Oh yeah. And there have been some movies, you know. Look, Boondock Saints is great when you're 13, and Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe acts the hell out of it, and he's just fun to watch. He's having a ball. Okay, everybody, we're back on the air. This is the Ammonite Double Feature Picture Show. We're talking about Spider-Man. Uh, five hours ago, I got lost in a Wikipedia rabbit hole about the identity of the man who killed Uncle Ben Parker. 
Folks, how would you believe that the actor who portrays this man, who is known in the comics as Burglar, is Michael Papa John? Seriously? This is not Ghostbusters 2016. I'm not getting a check from Sony, baby, but it is true. Michael Papa John <laughs> is the actor. It's his name, Michael Papa John. He's a wonderful actor. I liked him. He um, had a little fluffy hair. He was very good as a guy who ran away. Oh, Dennis Carradine is the name of the character. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. You know, I bet you there's a whole scene. In, if you're listening to this screaming at the fucking... You're probably not listening to this because I'm probably going to cut it. Jared. Yeah? How much do we love Willem Dafoe? Oh, he's phenomenal. Willem Dafoe is one of the greatest actors of all time. Bar none. When he walks into this movie, he's in the car, right? Is that the first time we see him? He's like, Harry. Yeah. He immediately sets the scene, his conflict with his uh, son. And five seconds later, he's talking to Peter as if, as if he's the son that he actually does want, which is a line in the movie to some degree. And... You can analyze it in the comics, too. You can see it a bit in Norman. It's never overstated in this movie, but, like, you de- you get the sense James Franco, uh, Harry lo- loves his dad and just wants his attention and all that shit. And, like, then as the goblin takes over, he just starts manipulating his son into just that, like, loving him unconditionally. And that's why the remainder of the movies is all about Harry pissed off at Spider-Man. Also, one, one detail, I'm getting way ahead of myself. How did Harry know to pull out that dresser at the very end and get a gun? Oh, yeah. What the fuck was that? That really bugs me. Why? Well, maybe he just knew, right? Was that in Dad's study? I forgot already. Um, it looked like the living room area, because they had another scene where... Oh, my one of the better scenes. Because it's just Harry walking into the room going, Dad, and in the background here... Oh, yeah, right, right, right. You hear Harry again, just... Dad? And then Norman shows up. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, oh, in the man. mirror! Do you, okay, but at this point, I watch, I watch Norman... I watch the Norman who isn't talking. If Green Goblin is going on, I'm looking over at uh, Norman and vice versa. Just to see what's happening. I know, it's so good. He's something else. Harry, it's oh. your father. It's so good. His, his that cackling, campy voice of the Green Goblin. I'll get you next time, Spider-Man. That movie hits all the best cliches. He literally screams, I'll see you next time, I'll Spider-Man. I'll see you next time, Spider-Man. Oh, it's so good. You and me could do great work together, Spider-Man. You and me, we're not too, we're not too different, you and me. I'm not like the other Spider-Man. Think he's, about it, hero. He's got this beautiful, like, f- frankly, he's got the kind of voice you'd expect if a domineering magnate who owned New York City became a Power Ranger. Pretty much. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I frankly, I think his whole performance would fit better if he had his face painted green with the with the eyes. It's really strange. They They covered up one of the best parts of his performance the fact that he can contort his face into shapes it's true i'm glad that they uh now the original doc ock design did not allow them to well i'm talking about spider-man 2 now but they fixed this mistake with alfred molina we get to see his big beautiful face in a way i kind of like that um i was thinking about this before i kind of like that uh you know he has the power ranger mask on and you can only he can only emote through his eyes when they're showing right and when it's off you are enraptured by what he's doing on screen it like by depriving you of his emote of his face 
you're paying so much more attention to everything else. Right. Like, of course, when he, back to formula, and he grabs his uh, science by the throat, and he has this, like, he's, like, pulling his face, and you see all the wrinkles on his face. You can just, you, <laughs> you get the feeling if you reached out, you can touch it on the screen. How's that editing on last night I was, ah! Hmm? Last night I was, ah! Wait, I remember that. Remember that where Norman was, like, last night? Last night I oh, was, was that ah! the, the cut? Yeah, the Sam Raimi, I'm gonna spook ya cut. So funny. Oh, so good. And also, Sam Raimi gets to shine as a scary man at the very end where he decides, all right, we're just going to brutalize these characters' outfits and just make them bleed. You know, I couldn't oh, even believe so that good. drawn by John Romita when it happened in the comic. Mm. Even though I had seen this movie, by the time I read Amazing Spider-Man in junior high, I'd seen this movie like a dozen times. Mm-hmm. But, the, but like, man, that is when the blade hit, from his own gilder hits him. If you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what a crazy... I also... Like, by the way, that, that beat is also played for comedy. Because he goes, ow. Remember? Yes. It's like a comedic... It feels like it's a, funny. an attempt at something lighthearted. It's a little lighthearted thing. He... It feels like the Grinch, the Ron Howard. It kind of feels like the Ron Howard. This is a compliment to Sam Raimi, actually. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, it feels like that Ron Howard Grinch, which is not a good... Uh, don't fire... Don't hire... You'll never hire me, Ron. <laughs> this movie is that movie is terrible. With but the, it almost feels like comedy, right? Am I wrong? I'm gonna. Focus. It feels like it feels like a lighthearted moment in the middle of something very dark. Yeah, it's, mo- it's supposed to make you laugh, and then you kick yourself for laughing because then you watch a man die. Yeah, here we like, go. Brutally. You know, I'm having trouble with this because I've always been so afraid of Spider-Man's uh, live-action design. Mm. It's always scared the shit out of me, even like. Any any big version, like a poster, scares the shit out of me. He's a big basketball. Like, I, I guess, but doesn't help. For some reason, it just freaks the shit out of me. And I love Spider-Man. <laughs> it's so tactile. Like, you really get the sense that he's... There's so much going on. Yeah, okay. So, so what I'm talking about is about a two-second shot. He's, he's, made, he's weak. He's in the debris... He's up against rubble, and he's like, oh, Spider-Man, oh, uh, to Harry, oh, Peter, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it's all a gambit to get Spider-Man in position for the glider, right? Mm-hmm. And so he activates the glider, but Spider-Man's spider sense goes off, and then he goes, oh. I, I get it. It's like You see his eye close up. The rest of it is like a Sam Raimi shot. Yeah. And then it's like really a Sam Raimi shot, and he goes, oh. Yeah. It's, it's closer to, be, to Army of Darkness than, than, than How the Grinch Stole Christmas by it's, fucking on It's just dark comedy. It's just dark. Yeah. I think Sorry it, to get stuck on this, but it's so good. No, it's, it's fine. It's the stuff we want to get stuck on. It's just a little moment that provides the teeniest bit of levity before making it brutal again. And also, it also gives the sense of like, yes, Norman Osborn, Osborn is a very smart guy, but even smart guys can fuck up. That little O is... Oh, I fucked oh. up. I like that. The teeniest bit of character thrown in at the end, just so you remember it. I agree. It's good. You see the human inside. Yeah. Jared, we've been talking about Spider-Man for 18 minutes now. <laughs> Jesus, uh, have we? Do we want to talk about J.K. Simmons? I mean... Not to, not to some, hard segue out of Norman Osborn, but I think we've covered it. Some men were born to be certain parts. 
That's true. And J.K. Simmons was born to be J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, Shakespeare can fuck off only one part. Fuck off, <laughs> Billy Shakes guy. This part. What an amazing performance. Funny as fuck. So good. Like, as much as I would love to see Stan Lee in that role, because he wanted he wanted to be J.J. so bad. Is that so? Yeah, there was a little, little thing he really wanted to be J.J., but they, you know, they wanted to... They wanted J.K. Simmons. Come on. That audition has to be the biggest slam dunk in the history of movies. Masked Menace terrorizes town. Are you kidding me? And they even and they even bothered to give him a teeny bit of actual character outside of being a douchebag boss, where Go- Goblin has him by the throat and he's like, where'd you get those photos from? Uh, I don't know. They, you sent them to me. I've never met the guy. Yeah, right? Like, he's protecting the source, right? Nice little thing. I was like, oh. He actually, he's... It really gives us, gives the sense that yeah he's he's bullshitting on the page on the page, but he actually cares about his workers, like the people making stuff for him. And I, I like that. It's a nice little thing they threw in there, alongside the rest of his phenomenal acting. <laughs> I'm a I'm a photographer. Jared, any other thoughts from Spider Man? Um, if you haven't seen this movie, somehow go watch it. It's great. Um, it's it takes everything it takes everything you love about superheroes and makes it ten times better. You have oh, genuine man. you have genuine human human interactions. You have relationships. You have that camp element, which you know makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you're watching a real movie, and you also those also off the darker stuff. That thing Sam that's Raimi. missing from all your other superhero movies you don't like it's the camp. Mm-hmm. If you know, you know. There's a, there's a big difference between haha isn't this stupid and embracing it so fully that you have Norman Defoe on a big silly glider cackling and yelling I'll get you next time Spider-Man I'm, surpri- I'm surprised on Harvey Firestein hasn't made an appearance as Goblin oh, that'll be Jesus. next time though Jesus um, I want to talk about Rosemary Harris who's incredible as Aunt May again to your point about J.K. Simmons uh, some people are just born for a part and uh, Rosemary Harris is born to be Aunt May. You're not Superman, you know. If you watched a television in 2002, you heard, You're not Superman, you know, about a million times. <laughs> and, uh, and the joy of hearing that every time uh, is owed to Rosemary Harris, who of this, of this recording, I'm, I'm happy to say, is still with us. Wonderful. God bless. It's um, astounding that this movie cast everyone near perfectly it's true it's true we haven't said anything about uh, james franco or kirsten dunst but they're they're perfect yeah, for we haven't roles. said anything about kirsten dunst for sure yeah they're they they're great for this i agree oh man uh stay tuned for this but in spider-man 3 when kirsten dunst is bad she's a like uh, whatever that is i don't want to insult kirsten dunst as a singer but like if that was unintentional Sam Raimi is the greatest director alive by accident, which, <laughs> which I, I don't think that's true. I think he's great on purpose. Sure. My final thoughts on Spider-Man. Just like in May of 2002, it's a movie that made me believe anything is possible. I love this movie so much. Um, for me, it's obviously five stars. Jared, your rating? Oh, that's so hard. Yeah, would you have to add a five stars? Out of five stars? Three being good, five being incredible. Um... Hmm. Zero being. I don't want to. I don't want to start. A, I don't want to start a five off the bat. But man, you started with a three point five for super. Rich. I did. Yes. I would say it's a four. I would say it's. I would say it's a four. A solid four. The kind of thing I can revisit and feel great about every single time. But goddamn, 
Sometimes it's a six. Yeah, right? <laughs> those those scenes, those scenes, it's the best thing you could ever watch. It makes you feel so good about it's watching so good. a movie. About seeing a dude in tights do the right thing. That's true. I agree. Four and a six averages out to five. Mm-hmm. So oh, crap. Go. I guess it's a five. There you go. <laughs> if you were, you know, the poor son of a bitch doing the Ammonite Inc. wiki. There you go. That person doesn't exist. Um, but there you have it. So, from for our first feature, Super 8, hearty recommendations all around. Jared, a 3.5 for a J.J. Abrams is basically a four. Yeah. And uh, a four from me as well. And for Spider-Man, you have a four and a five. Uh, both bona fide classic movies. I th- well, I think Super 8 is great. I think Super 8 is a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man is a bona fide classic yeah. that you know we'll be show- excited about showing our kids and shit. Again, what Superman did in the 70s, Batman did in the 80s, Spider-Man did in the 2000s, they made what the superhero is. What you want, a- what you want out of a superhero and what it- a superhero should be. Fun- funny enough, I would... I rate all three. I rate all three of them fours, but their best moments are sixes. It's true. Yeah, that's fair. Like that's how I how I look at those movies. I see. I see. But yeah. Um. All right. So uh, that brings us to the end of the double feature picture. Boy, did that sound abrupt. Well, I guess you're gonna have to click on to the next episode to figure out what Jared and I ended up talking about. It's almost as if there should be an episode there in the middle that got eaten by some kind of. Large monster. I should hook up my microphone to record this, but it's too late for that, too. Anyway, thanks for listening, and on to the next one.